Praise be to the God who rose up the sprout of Jesse to win for us the confident expectation that is our faith. Our text for our sermon is Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 13. To remind you of that account, I will read verse 4. Indeed, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that through patient endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we would have hope. This is the word of our Lord. John the Baptist preached repentance. We're told in our gospel lesson that the Pharisees, who thought they earned their righteousness, and the Sadducees, who didn't care, they didn't believe the Bible was inspired, they didn't believe in miracles, they didn't really believe in the afterlife, that they went ahead and came just to cover the bases. Yeah, I'll go ahead and be baptized. What would it hurt? And so we're told in our gospel lesson that John ripped them apart, reamed them a good one for that, and says, Therefore produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not think of saying to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Already the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But the one who comes after me is mightier than I. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You get out of all of this that we don't produce our own repentance. If a tree isn't planted and watered and nourished, it's done for. God does this. This was part of what baptism does. When the Holy Spirit is sealed in your heart, He works that fruit in which you actually trust God's Word, that you are a sinner who cannot earn your forgiveness, and then you trust God's Word that your sins are forgiven. Then you repent. Then you wish you could take back the sins that you don't want to commit, but you end up committing them because you have a sinful nature. And so you trust the Lord has forgiven them. This is the life of a Christian. This is a fruit that is built into our faith, the faith that comes from the Holy Spirit. So God produces the fruit of repentance. Now, the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans in quite a long section that goes all the way back to chapter 12 talks about our relationship with God and our relationship with our neighbor, the first and second table of the law. We try to have these not in order to earn our salvation, but to thank and praise God. In fact, in chapter 14, just prior to today's text, he spends a whole amount of time telling us about adiaphron, things neither commanded nor forbidden by God, and he lays out the principle that the strong should take care of the weak, look out for them, taking them under our care, not to browbeat them into our opinion of how things should be done, that God is neither commanded nor forbidden, but simply so that they can see their freedom. Is there that the Apostle Paul begins chapter 15 and lays out the principle even more strongly. He says, now we who are the strong are continually obligated to lift up and carry the weaknesses of those who are not strong and not to accommodate ourselves. Here's a fruit that God wants us to produce. We're to literally carry the burdens of the weak upon ourselves. But how can we do this? We're sinners. We're naturally selfish. He says in verse 2, let each of us accommodate his neighbor resulting in his good, specifically with a view towards building him up. So now we know what the goal is. It's not just to serve the neighbor and be, and be abused by them. It's to build them up in their knowledge of God's law and in the knowledge of their salvation. 
But how, again, do I ask, do we do this? The Apostle Paul tells us in verse 3, For even Christ did not accommodate himself, but just as it has been written, the insults of those who insult you completely fell upon me. Paul is not saying your motivation is to ask, what would Jesus do? Jesus did this. And he put his Holy Spirit in your heart so that we're able to struggle against our selfish, sinful nature because God, he had nothing to gain, yet became a man for us. And he lived for us. And he's given this to us by giving us his Holy Spirit. So we arrive at our sermon text today as we've been covering through repentance and everything as we prepare for the Lord. Our theme is God works the fruits in us that prepare for the coming of our Lord. Now today's gospel lesson focused on repentance. But there's another fruit that truly prepares for the coming of the Lord. And that is when a congregation will apply it to Lord of Lords Lutheran Church lives in unity. We're told in verse 4, Indeed, everything that was written in the past was written to instruct us so that through the steadfastness and comforting of the Scriptures we may have the sure and certain hope. Where does the power come from? It comes from the Word. Why? Because it's the Word of God and the Holy Spirit works through that Word. It gives us steadfastness. It gives us comforting. You heard me say from this pulpit a couple weeks ago, back in October, Menards was giving, if you'd signed up for the vehicle, a four-door, half-ton blue Ford truck. And I had hoped I won it. Well, you can tell I didn't. It's not in the parking lot. My hope was an earthly hope. I knew probably I wasn't going to win it. There's a pretty good chance. That's not what the Christian hope is. Now, it seems that way because our sinful nature will lie to us and say, no, 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 God couldn't forgive you. God doesn't love you. God can't mean those promises. But the new man that is that Holy Spirit that comes through those words with their comforting and assurance gives us a confident expectation. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my sins are forgiven. I know my Savior's coming back. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God works through that word to comfort and assure and keep that confident expectation strong in us. And so we're told in verse 5, Now may the God of steadfastness and comfort give to you the same mindset among one another in conformity with Christ Jesus. We don't have to agree on what color carpet our congregation has. But we should recognize it's neither commanded nor forbidden by God. So it would be a terrible thing if we got to backbiting each other and calling each other horrid names over something as silly as the color of our carpet. He says, in conformity with Christ Jesus. There are a lot of Christian churches that agree to disagree. It doesn't matter if you believe something that the Bible clearly states and you disbelieve it or you think the Bible's wrong. Well, we can all just get along. No. This mindset, this conformity has to be in conformity with the word of God, has to be in conformity with Christ. And if Lord of Lords Lutheran Church is to have that conformity, it only comes through hearing the word and knowing the word. Now, Jesus sends his Holy Spirit and he connects each one of us individually to him. We call it the mystical union. We know what his desire and will is. We know that we're saved because of the scripture. And each one of us connected to that hub of Christ form the congregation that is Lord of Lords Lutheran Church. And so our mindset comes from God's law and his gospel. If it disagrees with what Jesus taught, preached, what he won for us, well, then it's not in conformity with the word of God. God works the unity among us, his flock, through his word, showing us Christ, which Christ is the word. 
And we're told in verse 6, So that in one accord and in one voice you may continue praising the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the purpose of this unity? That we bring glory to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We do this pretty regularly and don't even realize it. We do it right underneath our noses because we're in the Word and we make sure the Word is taught in truth and purity. So we're told, for this reason, keep on receiving each other to yourselves with hospitality, just as Christ also received you with hospitality to himself for God's glory. Now there's the motivation. God became man, chose to be born, chose to be conceived in the womb of a sinner so that he could save you and I 2,000 years before today, before we could even thank him. So there's our motivation, but that word hospitably receiving each other, taking each other under each other's wing, that's tough for the sinful nature to do. Jesus took on the form of a servant. The night he's betrayed, he washes his disciples' feet to show us the mindset that we get from him. We're to have a servant's mindset. Now, this is exemplified in marriage. If a husband says to his wife, I am your servant, and the wife says to her husband, I am your servant, and they know the forgiveness and love of Christ, they're going to have a pretty good marriage. They have two sinful natures. But the problem is we get selfish. We would say, Lord, make sure you scrub between the toes. Hey, let me get you something to scrape that jam out of my toe. Ew. We are here to serve me. And isn't it easy even as a congregation to make sure that we get our way and things are done what we want? Congregations can quickly become divided by strong personalities who think they're doing well because their way is the right way or it's the highway. Isn't it easy? To break apart into cliques when we fellowship. And, and obviously we have our natural friends and our family and stuff like that. But it becomes a problem when we stop talking to each other. When we remain in our comfort zones. Or if we rush off around the corner to the fellowship hall and that visitor who is not going to turn the corner to the fellowship hall is able to duck out the door and never once be seen an example of God's glory by Christian love simply saying we're glad you came. Our unity can only come from the love that the Lord works in our heart. And this is a fruit he works for us. So in verse 8, Paul says, In fact, I'm saying Christ has become a servant of circumcision for the sake of God's truth in order to prove valid the promises to the fathers and especially the Gentiles glorify God because of his mercy. One long promise there, two promises in the whole thing, but it all culminates in Christ. See, it's easy to get divisions, isn't it? When Paul writes to the Romans, you've got the Judaizing Christians and you've got the Gentile Christians. The Judaizing Christians had missed all those ceremonial laws like circumcision, what you couldn't eat, certain bodily functions that you can't even help, make you unclean. They were meant to be a burden. They were meant to be oppressive. God had prescribed these to the nation of Israel so it would shine out to the world a very simple message. No matter what you do, you're unclean. You can't clean yourself. It's a burden you cannot bear. But they were meant to point to Christ who would come and he would fulfill, he would do those laws perfectly in our place and fulfill them. And with the forgiveness he won, he would wash us in his blood and we would not have to worry about them because they would be fulfilled. There's this group though, they, they insisted, no, you still got to be circumcised. And they would try to put this on the Gentiles. God's church should not have divisions like that. Our brothers and sisters in Africa or South America may worship with different hymns than we do. They may have a slightly different liturgy than what we use. But if they're staying in the word of God, 
we should be able to receive them hospitably and not worry about the adiaphron. We shouldn't have divisions like the rich and the poor. This unity only comes from Christ. And so we see God works the fruits in us that prepare the coming of our Lord. He works unity among his flock. He starts in your hearts and then he joins us together into the congregation that is Lord of Lords Lutheran Church. But he works more fruits than just unity among us. And we're told in the second half of verse 9, Just as it has been written, For this reason I will publicly confess praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing praises to your name. And again the scripture says, O Gentiles, sing out with rejoicing together with his people. To publicly confess praise to God's name. Do you know when you do that? You do it throughout the liturgy. But especially when we confess those creeds, right? Do you ever stop and think that you're praising God? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for making heaven and earth for me. And in Jesus Christ, thank you, Lord. Thank you for taking on my human flesh and saving me. The Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you, God, the Holy Spirit, for giving me faith, for uniting me into your invisible church, and for giving me brothers and sisters in Christ in the visible church. You confess those things, but while you're confessing them, you're praising God for doing them. Whenever we confess that we trust in Jesus for forgiveness, whenever we announce the forgiveness of sins, we are confessing praise to God. And yes, again, rejoice. Isn't that a major thing? When you ask people what's their favorite time of the church year, you'll usually hear that Advent season that culminates in Christmas. There's a rejoicing God takes on human flesh to save us. We don't have a God who can't empathize with us. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to feel physical pain. He lived through the death of his stepfather. He wept at the grave of Lazarus. He knows your and my emotions because he's been there and done that. This makes us rejoice. God works the faith in our heart, which then gives us praise, rejoicing, and we're told... And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and adoringly praise him, all you people. That adoration, a a worshipful thanks, cannot help but to think of the Christmas song, Oh, come, let us adore him. You know the song. That's why we gather together. One of the reasons, not the only reason, is to adore the Lord in thanks for the salvation he's won and forgiven us. And this makes us praise and rejoice. And we sing these beautiful hymns that praise and rejoice. And then we're told... And again, Isaiah says there will be a sprout of Jesse who will even rise up to rule the Gentiles. Gentiles will put their hope upon him. And again, the word for hope here is confident expectation. God said this beforehand. He said this 700 years before Christ took on human flesh. But he was thinking of you and I, for you and I are Gentiles. And here we are, one of the fruits of faith is to trust and hope in God's promise with a confident expectation. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And so we see God works the fruits in us that prepare for the coming of our Lord. He works unity among his flock and he works our confessions of praise, rejoicing, and hope. We confess our hope, our praise, and our rejoicing. So we arrive at the last verse of our text which is a prayer the Apostle Paul says for the Romans and for all Christians, which you and I join in. Now may God fill you up completely with all joy and with peace as you continue to believe so that you continue overflowing in that confident expectation or hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Guy starts filling up a container and he keeps pouring it and it's over the top and he keeps filling it up. There's an abundance. 
God pours an abundance of these things in you. He makes you overflow with joy. Now, what is the joy? All too often we think it's a euphoric joy in this world. You know, somebody who's been shot up with a tranquilizer or something. And so no matter what happens, I'm like, ah, oh, this is great. It's not quite like that. It's a spiritual joy. It's a joy in knowing no matter what happens, our sins are forgiven. It's a joy in knowing that no matter what happens, heaven is ours. It's a joy in knowing we are connected to Jesus, our heavenly brother, for all eternity now. It's a joy we especially see during this Advent season as we look to that coming incarnation. And the peace, the peace you overflow with. What kind of peace would the world have? We would love to have a great solid stock market and a great relation with our neighbors and no wars. But Christian peace is a peace in knowing God is not your enemy. He's your brother. He's your father. He lives in your heart so that you have the new man that is going to outlast the grave. And it gives you peace when you look into that grave knowing the outcome is heaven. Peace in knowing the confidence that maybe I'm the last generation won't even have to overgo, undergo death. That'll be great. A peace when hard times come upon us, God is using them for our good. He wouldn't let us suffer them unless He could use them. A peace in knowing God is not punishing us for our sins because Jesus, our brother, bore the punishment for our sins. For the wages of sin is death and an eternity in hell. So we have a peace in knowing God is not our enemy, He's our loving Lord who is at work for us. And we overflow with that peace. And once again, we overflow with that hope. Overflowing with that confident expectation. Again, as we confess, just look at the creed we'll confess today. That's my God and I'm confident of it. My God took on human flesh. I am saved. I'm confident of it. My God promised me heaven. I'm confident of it. And you overflow with it. And you sing these songs like you did hymn 16 on Jordan's Bank, the Baptist cry, with overflowing confidence. That is true and it's God's promise to you. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, as John the Baptist prepared the way for the coming of the Lord by preaching fruits that are repentance, we see God works the fruits in us that prepare for the coming of our Lord. And in our text, we've seen he works unity among his flock. And we're his flock, Lord of Lords Lutheran Church, all of us together, his true flock, the invisible church. He works our confession of praise, rejoicing, and hope. And then he makes us overflow with joy, peace, and hope. Amen. Now may God fill you up completely with all joy and with peace as you continue to believe so that you continue overflowing in the confident expectation by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.